Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Welcome to the first Halloween episode of The Storied Recipe. We begin with Amy's wisp of a memory, making caramel balls with her parents in their 70s kitchen. I chose to start with Amy because she really distilled Halloween down to one word, welcome. And welcome seems the best way to begin anything. Amy's interview is just about 14 minutes long. Thanks for coming on with me this morning, Amy. You're welcome. I'm looking forward to it. I love how you've described the memories you have of these caramel balls. You called in one email, you said they're a sticky 70s memory, which really made me laugh. And then later you said they're just a wisp of a memory, which I relate to because sometimes memories don't really come out as entire stories. So just tell me the little snapshots or fragments of memory that are associated with these popcorn balls. Well, my dad just loves popcorn. I mean, he mm. has made it, does make it, will make it. Um, it's just a, a favorite family snack. I guess it would be the right thing to say. Mm-hmm. And long before the 1980s in which large microwaves entered people's houses, mm-hmm. um, there were air poppers and dad had an air popper and would make, you know, take the kernels that you buy at the grocery store and make air popped popcorn for us. And um, so popcorn <laughs> was a big deal for us. Was this like a, um, was it an electric? Absolutely. Electric guy where you put, I'm sure, hot oil and kernels into the bottom of this thing Mm -hmm. and you turn it on somehow, I don't even recall, and Mm -hmm. it would just start shooting out of a chute at the top (laughs) into a big bowl. I love that it comes out of chute. A little yellow chute even. (laughs) Popcorn out into a big bowl. Um, Add salt, add butter, whatever you, you you desired. And so that was just a common snack. I think probably an economical one. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, definitely the salty people in the world. I, I would label my dad as salty and my mom as sweet in terms of flavor taste. Um, it's just dear that this recipe comes out of this 1968 Learn to Cook cookbook because I am certain it was a wedding gift to them. Oh. And I'm also certain that more than one excellent recipe have come out of that same book. So when we dug this recipe up and to remember the wisps of the memory, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, I was just thrilled to see that it came from there um, and that it was um, a part of, uh, there's an egg bread recipe in there. There's a gingerbread recipe in there. There is even, there are even instructions on how to, uh, boil water and boil an egg. The fact that this great recipe came out of there is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have good memories associated with that cookbook. Exactly. And so do you remember, do you just remember the finished product or do you remember working on the popcorn balls? I remember balls? mostly just the finished product because, um, somehow, you know, the sticky buttery, Uh, popcorn, you know, was put into balls that I'm, I'm sure. And I know there were nuts in it, which aren't in the recipe. Mm. Uh, And then I know that they were put into a little plastic bag. I'm sure that we handed it out, handed them out at least one Halloween. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't recall much more about how many times we might've done it. But Mm -hmm. I know popcorn was such a staple that that seems normative, if you will. 35 year range or so. That's great. 
So I love the statement on the PDF that you sent me. It makes nine large or 18 small balls, which made me laugh because there's no sizes, but such specific quantities. You can make nine or 18, but you you have no idea which size. So do you remember, I mean, your parents, if they were handing these out for Halloween, they must have made batches after batches. Right. And we live in a, you know, busy, happy, child-filled neighborhood, both Mm -hmm. then and now. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I made some just the other day and just to try to define those sizes in my own head. Oh um, yeah. With my sons. And you know, it's, it's as if one squashed one's hands together. That was the size that we created. And okay. that's pretty much what I remember, like a full overflowing cup of popcorn squashed together and then dipped into a little Ziploc bag of some, some description okay. handing out a in that case. So basically it's a cup of popcorn is essentially it what is. you think makes it. Totally is. It totally is. It's what you took in your two hands and squashed together. Got it's it. Okay. Tactile recipe. Yes. I, um, you know, eating is so um, physical, mm-hmm. if you will. Both it's um, tasting, but also cooking is so wonderfully tactile. Uh, yes. Cooking is messy and that's a part of both the joy and labor of it. Um, yeah. Mm. I, I, and so that part of it is such is what draws my positive memory into this because it was surely something we did with our parents where, mm. you know, my family is a tremendous cooking family. All of us cook and everyone was welcomed into the kitchen in that way. Mm. That is such a good point about how cooking is so tactile, part of the joy and the labor. I love that. Love it. Love it. Love it. Right. And and I'm sure like at your house, I mean, the, the minute there was popcorn <laughs> and corn syrup involved in my household, there were three people in the kitchen with me immediately, you know, mom, what are you doing? What's going on? You know, what is right. this and how do we do this? And so their hands are in the bowl, their hand, you know, my yes. oldest son had three re- immediate recommendations or for what we could add. To oh, make what were they? What were they? Did he, you follow them? He said pretzels. He mm-hmm. even chopped up peanuts while I was trying to squish popcorn balls together <laughs> to insert into them. Which we did. We made half with peanuts and half without. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, mom, M&Ms would be great. And he's totally right. Anything ah. that was, you know, yep. was, um, just similar to a Chex mix or mm-hmm. something like that would work perfectly. My middle son said, this is like a Rice Krispie treat, only it's with popcorn. And he's completely oh, correct. Yes. Brilliant cook. I remember making caramel balls once and my hands kept burning. Did you have that issue? So in working with it, I don't have a candy thermometer, but I have three or four meat thermometers. So I worked okay. with them kind of an insert roast thermometer um, to try to see if I could approximate. This gives very specific, you know, get to 260 degrees Fahrenheit um, Mm -hmm. with a candy thermometer. And I couldn't reach that temperature, but I knew we were boiling and creating caramel sort of in the middle, um, just by visualization, if you will. Uh And you can see a caramelization going on. I mean, it's a chemistry experiment. In fact, when I started doing this, my middle son, who's in my laboratory chemistry class that I teach weekly. Uh Mom, why are you using corn syrup? That's for science. And I said, (laughs) it's for for food too. I got the caramel going and I was like, I'm dumping all this popcorn in. So I took microwave popcorn, which is probably the wrong way to do it. I dumped, um, it said eight cups and I found that I needed at least that much, maybe nine or 10 for the amount of caramel that was made. And then I just worked. And as it 
you really needed the caramel to cool down. Yeah. You know, like that same process in Rice Krispie treats where you have them cooling and are pressing them into a pan of some sort. Mm-hmm. It was the same story. The mm-hmm. the hot, hot caramel coats the popcorn excellently, but to create a ball, you need the cooling process, which just occurs, you know, with entropy naturally. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, then I took my buttered hands, uh-huh. um, which I did follow the recipe, which was great. Um, and just squashed and squashed and squashed. I disagree um, strongly with the recipe in which that it says in italics, press very lightly into a ball. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think you have to press very firmly into a ball. Okay. That's all really helpful to know. It does show again what a labor of love it was for your parents because again, for a full neighborhood, they you couldn't just triple or quadruple the batch. They probably had to remake the batches over and over and over. Absolutely. And I know that, you know, I mean, I have that visual memory of drippy popcorn with those nuts in there that had solidified Mm. and, you know, in a sweet little bag. And then someone just cheerfully handing them out at the front door. Oh, it had to be long before, you know, only packaged um, candy was allowed. Mm-hmm. Well, and I wanted to ask you about that. So that change happened kind of somewhere in your childhood. I, th- I think it happened a little later for you than it did for me. Like the change had happened, but I remember there being this big scare, like people yes. taking their candy yeah. to the ER to have it x-rayed. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you, do you remember this change? Do you remember, were there any news stories associated with it? You know, I don't recall at all, except for that um, there definitely was a time period in which someone somewhere said we should not hand out homemade treats. And I mean, I don't remember personally being very sad about that or being very concerned about it. I like candy in all forms. so (laughs) I'll take any of it. So the directions on this PDF call for green and red popcorn balls, did you color the ones you made? I, when dad sent this uh, recipe to me, Mm -hmm. I was shocked that it had red and green in it. I think it would be difficult to have them red and green and have them stay together in a garland. Like we created garlands for Christmas decorations with a needle and thread and popcorn and cranberries yeah. to go on outdoor Christmas trees. Like that was a thing that my mom did. Did I the don't, birds or I, the squirrels eat them? Oh yeah. That was for the, that was the whole point. Oh, lovely. People, people who love birds like to feed them. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, right. I just love your parents more and more. (laughs) Another use, another creative use of popcorn, Becky. Can you see the tie? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's very dear. And um, what do you remember, separate from these caramel popcorn balls, what do you remember about Halloween as a kid? So again, you know, coming from a household where children were welcome, where food was a part of hospitality and welcome. My mom is an incredible seamstress. She can make anything with yes. needle and thread. And there, there are more than one Laura Ingalls Wilder costumes running around. Um, yes. From, my sister and I, um, I remember one year we, you know, we went on the kind of wicked side and we're witches with <laughs> green faces and black hats and those kind yeah. of things. And I think that the theme of all of the things and what what creates the memory for me are the emotions of family and being together and, and, a, and a sense of welcome, which is a tremendous, tremendous 
underlying theme in my growing up family. Um, and hopefully mm. the one that I live in now too. Oh, uh, absolutely. So, mm. Anyway, yeah. and I, you know, I prefer to emphasize that part of Halloween, you know, as a, as a neighborhood, I guess, um, you know, we were pretty cohesive, lots of families with children running around in the neighborhood that I grew up in. And the one that I live in now, um, mm-hmm. I'm on a circle with 80 houses and wow. our city will block off our street with barriers and you can, you can't drive the street, but you can walk the street. Um, and so we create, we end up with a tr- tremendous amount of traffic. And part of our joy is to have an early evening parade where oh. all, the, all the children are allowed come five o'clock region and um, go around the circle and trick or treat to the neighbors specifically before maybe the larger group of Halloween trick or treaters come as it gets darker. And yeah. And I love that, that your neighborhood specifically welcomes your kids by making them feel safe by barricading it off because yes. we have lived Very- in neighborhoods where truthfully, it was not actually safe to trick or treat. It was so dark. There are no sidewalks and the, um, the cars would just fly up and down the road. And it, um, it did not, it did not actually feel welcoming for my kids. So I think that's amazing that your neighborhood creates. It's pretty unique. And, um, you know, we've lived here 15 years. So one, Mm -hmm. I remember one year, my middle son, had just learned to use a unicycle. So he put on a funny wig and a pair of rainbow suspenders and the brightest shorts he could find and <laughs> um, unicycled the circle just to show that he could do it with a, again, those, you know, the opportunity to say hello to the people that are, are right around us is, is tremendously valuable. And yeah. And that one little thing, I bet people still remember that he can unicycle and still bring it up. And it's that, it All kind right. of, It's that opening to conversations just months later. Thank you so much for sharing the recipe, the memories. I really, I really appreciate your focus on the word welcome, you know, welcoming your kids into the kitchen, your parents making you feel welcome as part of the family an integral part of the family growing up the way your neighborhood welcomes kids. I think that was a really, I think that's a great theme word for this Halloween. So I really appreciate that. Well, and um, you and I would agree that the gospel says welcome, um, mm. and that would be, you know, that would be our our heart and our focus. But I'm super grateful for memories that that help you recall that that's a lifelong thing. Thank you again. You're and welcome. This was fun. Beverly responded to my request for Halloween storied recipes with images of gruesome edible sculptures that she created for Halloween last year. I was so impressed with the detail and artistry in her sculpture, and I was intrigued by her bio which simply said, plant-based food photographer, Filipino, architect, environmentalist. Even though Beverly didn't have a recipe to share, I was interested to hear more about each of those four things. I really think you will be too. My interview with Beverly is a little over 13 minutes. Thank you again for taking the time. It does sound like you're so busy. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And tell me again, the city you live in, it's called Sabu? Yeah, Cebu City. Uh, Region 7, it's kind of in the middle of the Philippines. Okay, I'm pulling up a map now because I'm so curious. (laughs) (laughs) So is that how the Philippines are? They're divided into regions? Actually, an archipelago made out of different islands. So do you just take boats and ferries between the small islands? Yeah, and we can also take planes too. It's faster. (laughs) Wow, so is there just constant air travel? Yeah, there is, especially when you have really have to travel for work. 
Okay, well, I've learned something already. Uh, let's go to Halloween. Tell me about Halloween in the Philippines. Hmm. We don't really celebrate per se, unlike um, what you do there in the States, right? Uh-huh. Um, it's kind of more like a gimmicky thing for us compared <laughs> to <laughs> compared to the um, cultural. It's like more of a cultural tradition for you guys, right? Yes, it is. And honestly, like even framing these questions, it's made me realize I have no idea how it started in the United States. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> from what I know, we're at the Philippines is actually a Christian nation. Uh-huh. I don't know if you were, you knew. So from what my understanding, um, we don't really celebrate Halloween because of the religion, right? Okay. Because uh, uh, Halloween is a, is it a pagan practice? It definitely has pagan roots. Absolutely. And I know a lot of Christians yeah. <laughs> celebrate it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But uh, the malls and other affluent uh, subdivisions here, mm-hmm. they they host uh, a trick or treat um, programs. Or okay, so that's how they do it. So then, schools don't have parades or costume parties. Um, not the schools that I went to. Not really. <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, in the Philippines, when it when the Vermont come, it's actually sort of like Christmas is starting already oh. all the way up to uh, New Year's. Okay. So you said- we're more of a Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Well, we do that too. You said when the Vermonts come? Yeah. October? Uh, September? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. From there, uh, it's like Christmas songs are already playing and... Um, Kids would be uh, seeing Christmas carols out on the streets asking for um, money or something like really? that. So that's already mm-hmm. happening right now. Yes. Yeah, it is. So when you said the Burr months, you meant Burr like September, B-E-R at yeah, the end yeah. of the month. I've never heard yeah, oh, that yeah. that way. Okay. <laughs> so when you were a child, did you celebrate Halloween? No, I actually didn't because I grew up... Um, in a Christian, uh, what do you call a Protestant, as a Protestant. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So we didn't actually have a chance to celebrate Halloween. Let's talk about these food creations because they are really and truly works of art um, that uh-huh. you made last year. So can you describe them a little bit? I will link in the show notes. I'll link to pictures of them and I'll link to your account. But can you just describe them for the listeners as well? Well, last year... I kind of made like a spooky burger. Yes. From, I think that was shiitake and black bean oh. for the patty. And then carved up a few sweet potato chips to look like a jack lantern. Uh, uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. So that was the first one. The second one was kind of like a last minute thing, actually. <laughs> so I, <laughs> but it was really fun to make. Um, I made a meatloaf zombie head yeah. right? and <laughs> a meatloaf zombie head really describes it yeah and um amputated fingers zombie yes fingers that's the second entry with the spaghetti <laughs> yeah it's kind of laying in a bed of <laughs> this grotesque <laughs> spaghetti <laughs> Yeah, and that was actually the first time that um, 
I was able to make meatloaf. So it was a memorable moment. <laughs> <laughs> You're carving of this zombie skull is spectacular. Do you have a background in art? I'm actually an architect, mm-hmm. but I freelance making um, styrofoam backdrops, like carved styrofoam backdrop. Oh, wow. So what are some of the things you've carved into these backdrops? Hmm. I think the more elaborate ones were like big mass. A, a little Red Riding Hood themed debut. So I was made to to um, carve up a tree, uh, like a big tree going up to the ceiling. Okay. Maybe I can link you photos of <laughs> some of the works I've done. Yes. Um, after the interview. I would love to see that. Yes, that's amazing. <laughs> and in, in this, what did you call it? The zombie head? Yeah and the amputated fingers. What did you use for these? The teeth are kind of falling out of this zombie oh, head. Oh, yeah. What did you use? People actually ask me about that all the time. They're onions. They're I just on- carved, I like carved up onions and then stuck it in there. Yeah. At first I thought maybe kernels of corn, but they were too big oh, for that. Yeah. Yeah. And then <laughs> did you drop egg yolks into the eye socket? Those are actually hard boiled. Okay. I was planning to make uh, tea eggs. Have you heard of tea eggs? I've never heard of tea eggs, no. Um, I think it's a Chinese origin. Uh-huh. Uh, so you boil hard-boiled eggs and then you um, crack the shell after it's been hard-boiled just to make... Uh, but you leave it on, you don't take it off. And then you, put it, uh, you submerge it and boil it in like... A concoction of tea and other spices and then you leave it there for a few days and then okay. it'll just soak up the taste of the broth yeah so oh. it makes like a rich more pattern on the the eggs so that was that was what I wanted but I, I didn't have the time <laughs> oh okay so you so it's not tea eggs in here it's just hard-boiled eggs yeah no no Plain hard-boiled egg. Okay, can we talk about the skull itself for a second? Because it, it has this amazing, perfect sheen to it. So it's very impressive because you you did put quite a bone structure into the meatloaf, yeah. like the eye <laughs> sockets and the mm-hmm. the no the bridge of the nose and the cheekbones are more prominent. And then the way you yeah. cooked it, you know, they got kind of blackened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it really yeah, has it. It really has a grotesque look. And I'm wondering, did you brush it with something to get a little bit of a shine to it? It's actually a bacon, honey, what do you call that? The one flavored, honey flavored bacon. Honey flavored bacon? (gasps) You wrap (laughs) the meatloaf in honey flavored bacon. Yeah, to uh, keep the form and then... That's how it turned out. It, I, I think it turned out pretty good. <laughs> oh, it turned out amazing. <laughs> Not only that, but also really delicious, I bet, then. Yeah. yeah wow. It was. <laughs> wow. So if you grew up in a Protestant home and you didn't celebrate yeah. Halloween, did anybody share this with you, this work of art? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, we don't really celebrate Halloween, but we're not um, closed to the to the idea of the the celebration right okay so no one was offended or wanted to yeah, you know no, no. 
Nothing. Disown you from the family <laughs> or anything like that. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. A little too extreme, maybe disowning me. <laughs> so, who did you eat this with then? Who ate it? You and who else? My brother's um, significant other was around. So, actually, I, I sort of live by myself most of the time because uh-huh. um, my brother goes out for work um he works on a cruise ship and my mom is out of town he's she's in Boracay have you heard of Boracay no I haven't where is that it's a famous tourist uh vacation spot here in the Philippines okay. it's more of beaches and okay then there are lots of resorts okay is tourism the main industry in the Philippines yes it is <laughs> okay <laughs> So we're talking about your job as an architect and you're also a food photographer. You share that on Instagram and you're also obviously a painter and a sculptor <laughs> as you share now by sharing about your murals. So what do you think that um, in particular architecture and food photography have in common? Maybe like design or aesthetic in general. Mm-hmm. I think we share that in um, because architecture is really more, um, what do you call it? Share the arts compared to other um, professions like engineering. And that's what mm-hmm. distinguishes us, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Architects have to have both, right? You have to have the engineering um, knowledge because your buildings have yeah. to be safe <laughs> and practical. <laughs> But it brings an aesthetic in as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Food photographers Thank don't. Thank you need for putting to. that into words for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Food photographers don't need to have any engineering skills at all. <laughs> <laughs> so you say in your bio that you're Filipino <laughs> architect, environmentalist. So how does being an environmentalist affect your food choices and your approach to food and to food photography? Thank you for asking that. Uh, the Philippines is actually one of the biggest contributors of um, plastic waste. <laughs> plastic waste. Pla- oh, of plastic waste. Okay. Yeah. So I actually advocate not using plastic as much, I, although I'm not perfect, though. Can't really escape it here in the Philippines not to be able to use plastic for um, buying things. But I try my best. So you taught me that the Philippines is an archipelago of many, many small islands. Do you see plastic in your waters frequently? Yeah, we, we really do. Uh, actually, Barakai, the one, the tourist spot that I mentioned my mom worked at, was mm-hmm. closed for a few months just so they could clean up the whole island because it was really a lot of plastic was already there because it's a pop, really popular tourist spot. So it Yeah. So tourists were contributing. They were the biggest mm-hmm. culprits in terms of contributing plastic. <laughs> That's why we have to practice responsible tourism as much as possible wherever we go. I think one mm-hmm. of the things that impacted me was we took a trip to Iceland this year. A friend of mine who's Icelandic, her brother works in the fishing industry and has just become really disgusted and heartbroken over the amount of plastic that he sees and how quickly it's accumulating. And even just hearing that had a big impact on me. Well, what started as a Halloween conversation 
turn it to a different one. And it, um, I really could talk to you for so much longer, but I know that you've spared you've spared a lot of time for me already and we will be following along. I will link your accounts. You really do. You have the soul of an artist and I just can't wait to see what you do next, whether it's food, (laughs) architecture, whatever. Thank you so much, Beverly. Thank you, Becky. It's been a pleasure. Finally, we end with Brenda who befriended me on Instagram several months ago. She offered to share her recipe for an apple shaped cheese ball, which she says will be perfect for any harvest party. Now, a cheese ball wasn't exactly the most exciting recipe I could fathom, but I find Brenda to be so fun, knowledgeable, and entertaining, I was not going to pass up an opportunity to talk with her. Sure enough, she had me laughing in 30 seconds, and I walked away from the interview. Two additional recipes I just had to try. You are going to fall in love with Brenda during this interview also, which is just about 17 minutes long. So Brenda, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad to be here and so proud of you, Becky, for doing this. This is wonderful. Oh, you're really sweet. And thanks for reaching out because I know it wasn't necessarily your favorite recipe, but you were just trying to be supportive. And that's so sweet. It means a lot. Well, you're welcome. I There is a little story behind that uh, cheese ball. I had a fall gathering here at our house and the cheese ball is sort of a standard that people mm-hmm. have. And when I was trying to put it over on the platter, I made an indention in it. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> why not put a chick and with a leaf and make an apple? <laughs> oh, I love it. Since I thought it was charming, you know, and so I had a backup cheese ball also. How long were you making cheese balls before this turned into an apple-shaped cheese ball? (laughs) Well, the recipe is old, and I do remember my mother-in-law making it a lot, and I loved hers. And this recipe is very similar to Mm. hers. Mm. And in the South is not, we don't produce a lot of cheese, but we eat a lot of cheese. (laughs) (laughs) My grandmother's favorite breakfast was cheese toast and uh, slices of cantaloupe or Mm. uh, stewed dried peaches or apples. So, Mm. um, and she actually won posthumously um, a contest with her pimento cheese recipe, which I still make. And oh still, wow, uh, yes, yes. Oh so. my, oh my. Maybe <laughs> I maybe. call it the award-winning pimento <laughs> cheese. <laughs> no. no, how how did she win an award posthumously for cheese? I entered it. Well, of course you did. And also, what is pimento cheese? <laughs> <laughs> Pimento cheese is a spread that has the little jars of pimento. Uh-huh. Those little it red, has, those little red things. Mm-hmm. And it okay. has cayenne pepper as mm-hmm. hot as you dare. And <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother used homemade mayonnaise. She made her own mayonnaise, mm-hmm. but as she aged and groceries changed, she did tell me to look for not a brand, but the ingredient lemon juice in commercially prepared mayonnaise—that's oh. the—that's the key ingredient. And often she would thin down commercial mayonnaise with additional lemon juice. 
Isn't that Uh, interesting? Uh I forgot one ingredient. You do have to have what we call pepper sauce. And that is when we pickle our hot peppers in Mm -hmm. vinegar, the vinegary liquid is what we call pepper sauce. Mm. And that's added to a lot of authentic Southern dishes. You'd be surprised. And when we eat dark leafy greens like turnip greens or mustard greens or collards we always have uh, pepper sauce available because people want to douse their greens with the pepper sauce the vinegary liquid in pickled peppers that actually sounds delicious so it's vinegary it's spicy in a southern kitchen in the refrigerator, there's almost always at least one jar of pepper sauce. Or if you eat in a southern restaurant, you'll see a little bottle with tiny peppers in it mm-hmm. with a hole on the top. And mm-hmm. that's not so that you will eat the peppers. So to go back to this pimento cheese, I'm still fascinated. Is this yeah. is it a cream cheese with pimentos and pepper sauce and cayenne in it? Or is it is it an well, actual hard cheese? Some people do ruin, I think, pimento cheese by putting (laughs) cream cheese in it. But my grandmother always finely grated or extra sharp cheddar cheese. Nowadays, in a lot of restaurants, you can order a sandwich or a hamburger even that has pimento cheese on top. Mm, I think I need to try it on a burger. That sounds You do, you do. On a burger, you make it a little thicker so that if the burger is still warm. It has a little melting room, but it doesn't melt a, a lot. You, know? mm. you mm. need to make some pepper sauce too. So. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, yeah, I've got a lot of assignments <laughs> getting off this call. <laughs> I thought I was making a little apple shaped cheese log, but <laughs> I might be doing a little extra. Okay. Now going back to an apple shaped cheese ball, which is not to be confused with the pimento spread that we've talked about actually for most of your interviews so far, you said this cheese ball would be perfect for a harvest party. Now in the DC area where I live, harvest party is really just an excuse to put on a sweater and some boots. What is a Southern harvest party like? Agriculture and livestock breeding is huge in Mm. our state. Just very close to me is a blueberry farm and a cotton farm. And uh, these young farmers are raising grass-fed beef and organic vegetables. And there's a famous crop that we have here in St. Clair County, which is the Chandler Mountain tomato. And so, yes, we've gone to farms for harvest or farm days. Now, when you go to the harvest parties there, are, are they are they purely celebratory or are they also, um, is there a function? Depends on who hosted. If it's a family, like my husband's family, whenever they would gather hay, you can bet that the women were bringing food and putting mm-hmm. it out. If you go to, for instance, a cattleman's event, mm-hmm. you might have they're cooking hamburgers and maybe steaks, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. the, you're getting to see how they uh, run their production. And okay. people bring dishes sometimes, or maybe there's just a, a, a committee that brings dishes. And okay. absolutely, a um, cheese ball would be. <laughs> 
awesome. So they, they're functional and they're educational as well. They are. There's a farmer's federation and they they have information. There's When you live in a more rural county, you might have an extension service or soil conservation that um, shows films and shows how to, um, you know, help farmers um, oh, okay. be productive and, and what the problems are and how they're being addressed and that kind of thing. It's a very interesting thing. You almost don't get away from that rural influence. Yeah. So yeah. when we have parties, we do have the celebratory parties, as mm-hmm. you're talking about. Just it's an excuse. It's cooled off, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's school is back and it's just a... And isn't that a reason to celebrate for parents? <laughs> Well, I'm sure it is. I would do it all over again, though, Becky. So Mm -hmm. I see you enjoying your children, and I know you'll just breeze through, and they'll be wonderful. Yes, and I hear the subtext of what you're saying, which is enjoy every day because it goes quickly. It does go by fast. Yes. It really does. (laughs) Well, I have to tell you about the party where the the apple-shaped cheese ball was. Yeah, tell me about it. It was nothing but traditional Southern foods, pickled shrimp, for instance, and candied bacon and Mm. uh, little tiny tea biscuits that were filled with slivers of baked ham. And yes, there were pimento cheese sandwiches, they (laughs) always are. But there were, I I believe, egg salad sandwiches and chicken salad sandwiches. And then they were what we called fried pies that were filled with dried apples or dried peaches that had been stewed and made into a filling. So all of the foods were heirloom recipes. My grandmother's pound cake, which is amazing. So anyway, it was, and I hand painted all the little invitations with a a little white and green pumpkins. And it was a fun event. I'm sure you guys chatted long into the night. We did, and we sort of went back and forth on whose mother or grandmother had the best pound cake and whose <laughs> mother or grandmother had the best minute <laughs> That's what storied recipes is all about, isn't it, Becky? It's about, it's common ground. Food yes. and the table is common ground. It's where our stories come together. Yes, and it's the pride that we take in you know, what our mothers and our grandmothers or our fathers and our grandfathers or our aunts exactly. and our uncles did. You know, there's there's a family pride in it that I think so you know, it, it can be a little competitive, but it's also just that, you know, narrative that bolsters our self-confidence for when we go off to do something else. It's, so let's talk a little more about, but you, you, you're you open about the fact that you're, you know, more mature. And, I am. <laughs> which I absolutely love that you are still going full steam ahead on your pursuits, on social media, on technology. You you bring all the experience and all this knowledge, and yet you're still trying new things as well. And I think that is such a great example. Oh my, you've made my day. It's all very (laughs) true. So, but I want to kind of tap in to your expertise as a more mature person. And I'm curious how Halloween traditions, how you've seen them change over the course of your life. So, well, you know, I was thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Um, My parents probably, they would be your grandparents age Mm -hmm. and just parents in general at that time had 
either been born during or uh, had endured the Great Depression, serious economic times, and World War II. Yes. Um, and so there was, by the time they had children and established their homes, um, it was a frightening time. There were people put in bomb shelters. There was, we sat outside and looked for Sputnik, which sounds funny now, but, mm. but our parents had a lot of anxiety around the world. And of course the weaponry that was developed during World War II was very mm. frightening. And mm. so they were, it's not that we did not go trick-or-treating. We did, but it was restricted to our own neighborhood or where we knew where we were going or to school parties. And I find that interesting because that's similar to how parents um, do with their children now. They watch what their children eat and who they get it from and um where they go uh and that's a wonderful thing and and we basically did that with our children except our neighborhood and my children are coming along they had we had over 50 children that rode the same school bus so it was a safer i guess you'd say we felt safer about our neighborhood now as those children grew up and um the neighborhood aged, I guess you would say. Uh, we got fewer and fewer trick-or-treaters. Mm -hmm. But we do have trick-or-treaters, and I have to say that my husband is a huge, huge fan of giving out trick-or-treats for Halloween. Oh. <laughs> well, he loved it when our kids were young. He would take oh, them around. And <laughs> I'm so fascinated by something that you said a few minutes ago, because my generation and even a little, uh, a little older than me, like a half generation older than me, gets right. such a bad rap for being overprotective parents, for being helicopter parents and all of this. And, you know, everyone pictures the old days as totally idyllic and completely free range and kids just went and spent right. all day out. But you're saying that you feel like that World War II generation really well, felt that same anxiety. Right. It, the World War II generation went into a time frame when it was just very, there were some very frightening things. And in the South, as you know, we had our, our other difficulties that, of course, there's more to do. Um, it was a frightening time. And the while technology is exploding in this generation back then it was that machinery and ways of making things um hmm. were uh it was a really fast moving time and i think anytime you have that as parents you well it pays to be careful yeah. no generation yeah. has it just right I well that is good to hear. i was in the generation that took a um polio uh vaccine on a sugar cube yeah. So see, yeah. The, the, those diseases, the medical advances were beginning, but um, the vaccinations and those kinds of things, because men and women had been overseas by then, they were more educated in the ways of the world, but also in the dangers of the world. And mm. so they brought some of that back. Um, mm. It isn't that I don't think they were confident. By the time I got to college, the Vietnam War was almost over, but it was still um, sort of a frightening time also. And so, you know, 
every every generation tries to do better and they're they deal with the fears of that mm-hmm. time frame. <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm always amazed. I mean, honestly, Halloween is a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work too. Do you remember that as a well, mother? It is. And I guess that's why my husband is, uh, favors it more than I do because it was actually a lot of work uh-huh. <laughs> and any of the treats that we sent to school, uh, I helped put together treat bags and they would always have the little spider ring and those kind of <laughs> things in it. And let's talk about Halloween this year. What will that look like for you? We'll get plenty of candy, and my husband insists on the good candy. <laughs> What's in case good anybody's candy? in my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> what counts as good candy? Let's just say lots of chocolate, yes. caramel, <laughs> with the little the little fun bars. You know? Yeah, I mm-hmm. I feel like candy has to include chocolate, or it's not oh, even worth yes. it. But not I find yet. that the the younger the kids are, the more they like just the pure sugar. Well, you can't really can't talk to me. You know, sugar cane is grown in my state. Yeah. <laughs> and all property off this. The South Coast. <laughs> so we have we're born with a sweet tooth, I think. But here's what we do. When we mm-hmm. give out the candy uh, and enjoy the children, and it's so fun to see children and grandchildren coming by the and their parents are the ones we gave trick-or-treats to. Mm-hmm. Um, we send the rest of the candy with our daughter who is a teacher and they teachers generally keep a little treat drawer or Mm, a little yes some Mm -hmm. sort of for a reward Mm -hmm. and so um of course we eat our share some years (laughs) I feel like he gives out one and I (laughs) one for you one for me (laughs) How fun, how fun, how fun. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed everything about this conversation. I'm I'm gonna try a few more a few more recipes than I originally said. If I can wrestle up two more guests, then I I'm gonna get you on retainer for a Thanksgiving episode because some some kind of southern (laughs) Thanksgiving recipe I I have to have you on again. You are so sweet, Becky, and I've I've just feel honored to have you as my friend and I'm so proud of you. Thank you, Becky. Have a wonderful day. I'd like to say thank you once again to all three of my guests for this Halloween episode and give you all just a little more information on how you can find them and their recipes. First of all, my mom and I actually worked together to make Amy's caramel popcorn balls and they turned out beautifully. We took all of Amy's tips and added in a few of our own, and you can find all of that information and pictures and even a PDF of the original recipe from her parents' cookbook, which they received as a wedding present, on my website. Secondly, on my website, in the episode notes, I have a lot of photos of some of Beverly's artwork, including some process photos that she used to make these eight foot tall styrofoam sculptures of Venetian masks and the Little Red Riding Hood scene and several other carvings. Finally, while I skipped the apple-shaped cheese ball, I did make Brenda's candied bacon and pimento cheese recipes, both of which turned out to be even more delicious than I imagined. I was particularly surprised by how much I love the pimento cheese. It was sharp, creamy, briny, spicy, and it did pair perfectly with strawberry jam on crackers. 
Also, you can find Brenda Wyatt at camelliascottage.com or Brenda Wyatt on Instagram. I failed to ask her to give you that information. Thanks again to these guests. And please let me know if you would like to reach out to them and need any more information or if I can help you with these recipes in any ways. And happy Halloween! On my website, you can also find weekly episodes released every Wednesday, or you can subscribe via your favorite player. You can join the Storied Recipe community by following me over on Instagram and tagging any of these recipes with hashtag storiedrecipe. My guests love to see their cherished recipes enjoyed by others. Finally, please know that I truly believe everyone has a story to share, and I would love to hear and photograph yours. Please reach out. And in the meantime, have a great week, my friends.